0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. To all the kids here this morning, I know Sunday school hasn't started yet, so I'd like to start by talking to you. This morning, we're going to be looking at both Psalms 42 and 43. We just heard 42, and we'll hear 43 shortly. And these Psalms are about a man who is crying. And so today, kids, we're going to talk about crying. Can you remember the last time you got hurt? Got hurt so bad that you cried. Maybe you were riding your bike and fell or fell off the trampoline or someone at school said something really mean to you. Whatever it was, it hurt so much that you cried. And if I had to guess who you cried to, my guess would be that you cried to your mom or your dad. And you cried to them because you trust them. And so the first thing I want to remind all the kids here this morning is that you did the right thing. It is good to cry to your mom and dad when you're hurt. God made us this way, and He made us to cry when we're hurt, and He made, gave us a mom and a dad to run to crying when we're hurt. And the second thing I want to remind you of, and that's what we're going to be learning from Psalm 42 and 43 today, is that it's your crying is a sort of practice for what we're going to see in the Psalms here, because we all get hurt, kids and adults and sometimes in ways that make us really, really sad. And the right thing to do, the thing that the Psalms teach us to do is to run to God, our Father, and cry to him. We need to learn how to cry to him just like you cry to your mom and dad when you're hurt because we trust him. And so when you do that, In return, your mom and dad will help teach you to do the same thing with your heavenly father. They will teach you to run to him when you're hurt, to pour out your pain to him because you trust him. So next time you get hurt, remember it's good to cry to your mom and your dad because you trust them, tell them everything, and they will help teach you to do the same thing with your heavenly Father, because we trust him. And the special word for that, that prayer, when we're crying in pain, is called lament. And we're going to hear that word a lot this morning. So let's pray again, and we're going to turn to Psalm 42 and 43. Lord, this is your word, and we need it. Prepare our hearts through your word. Prepare us to walk through pain and suffering well. Teach us to bring our tears and our weeping to you because we trust you. And remind us, Lord, of our glorious hope in you this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the text today, Psalm 42 and 43. And the reason it's both is because most likely they were originally one psalm. They were one song that shared the same theme throughout. In many ways, Psalm 43 answers the questions raised in 42, and you hear the same refrain, the same chorus repeated throughout. And my best guess is that they were split up for liturgy. That way, The Levites, the ancient worship leaders, had some flexibility either to use the individual versions or the whole version in their liturgy because they were songs. These songs were meant to teach God's people how to pray when they're hurt. They were songs of lament. And if you remember back to Pastor Ryan's sermon a few weeks ago, that the basic level of a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. It's sort of a boomerang where we pour out all of our pain to God and he returns us back to our trust in him. So these were songs that that helped teach God's people how to pray when they're in pain. And it's not the only one. Over one-third of the 150 psalms were laments. Now, if you had to guess how many of our top 150 worship songs today are laments, what would your guess be? Zero. None of them. And that's tragic because we need laments. We need to know how to respond To pain and suffering in our lives, and to bring that to God, just like God's ancient people needed laments. We need the language and we need a process to guide us through our deepest pain that brings us back to our hope in God. So, as we study this psalmist's lament in 42 and 43, I hope that this serves us as a guide for when we are in deep anguish, when we are in dark pain, that it helps teach us to run to our Father and cry to Him. So, if we open up Psalm 42, and we'll start at the beginning, and we see a man who is weeping in pain. And from the very first verse, we see that he is a godly man. It says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God for the living God. Those are words of a man who longs for God deeply. And I think that's important to note before we move into his despair, because they're not mutually exclusive. This man trusts God deeply, and he is in deep anguish. We also see that he's a religious leader, Who led processions in the temple and he loved his work because his work brought him close to God's people and the presence of God. Those were the good old days. And sadly, we see them here as a brief flashback in verse four because a lot has happened since then. There were attacks, overwhelming attacks from evil and deceitful enemies. He had been mercilessly accused and oppressed by ungodly people. In fact, it got so bad that he had to flee from his home, flee from his hometown and run into the mountains where he's hiding for his life right now, doing a lot of weeping. So that's where this godly man is in these Psalms. In the middle of nowhere, having just gone through extreme suffering, no relief in sight, And we see in verse 7, the image that he feels of wave after wave crashing over him and feels like he's just struggling to stay afloat. And in the midst of all the pain and the suffering, the thing that hurts the most is the painful sting of his enemy's words. Where is your God? It's like salt on the wounds. They've struck him where it hurts more, not just because they said it, but because he feels it. Their punch lands hard because he does feel abandoned by God. When his pain and suffering at their worst, God feels far away and his heart is torn as he struggles to hope in God. So if that's where you are at this morning. Downcast, discouraged, depressed, struggling to stay afloat, you have come to the right place. This text is for you. And if you're not there this morning, praise God. This text is also for you because there will come a time in your life where you will feel this way. And you need to know how to suffer well. And because there are brothers and sisters in our church right now, maybe in your small groups, that are here, and we need to be prepared to care for, weep with, and pray with one another well. So the overarching question in both of these psalms is, what do you do when you're so downcast, so discouraged, so depressed that it's a struggle to hope in God. And the psalmist responds in two ways, and these two ways will serve as the outline of today's sermon. The first is he prays, and it's a prayer of lament, and that we're, we're going to walk through that prayer of lament together. And the second thing that he does is he preaches. He preaches to his own soul to rekindle his hope in God. So turn now to Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the first thing the psalmist does is he prays to God and he laments his pain before him. He shares all the pain that he feels with God and pleads God for help. We see that in verse 1. Vindicate me, defend me, deliver me. And that's a natural starting point, and it's good to start there. Something terrible has happened, and the first thing he does is run crying to his father for help. He says, God, I am in serious trouble. I'm surrounded by evil people who want to hurt me and have treated me unfairly. Defend me. Get me out of this. And we need this. There's a dependence on God He's helpless without him. You are my salvation. Only God can help him in his distress. He doesn't get stuck in his head formulating his own plans, but first he runs to God for help. He says, God, I know you hate evil. And they've committed evil against me. I know you hate oppression. I'm being oppressed right now. I know you, have. you hate deceit and they have acted deceitfully against me. But he doesn't stop there. He shares all of his painful circumstance before God and then he goes deeper. He turns to something even more personal and painful and that's his own downcast and divided heart. As one author puts it, suffering is spiritual warfare. It's never just a matter of the body, but is always also a matter of the heart. When you suffer, your heart is under attack. Suffering takes us to the borders of our faith. It leads us to think about things we've never thought about before, and maybe even question things we thought were settled in our hearts. And so he feels this war for his heart. His heart is caught in the middle of this battle and he's losing ground. The enemy's lie that God has rejected him, that God is far away, is starting to take hold in his heart. We see it in verse two. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? We feel the pain of his words, the felt rejection by God. He asks the same questions that his enemies are accusing him of. Where is your God? And to this man, the man who loves God deeply, who longs for God like deer pants for water, the pain of being rejected by the one he loves most, Is the deepest pain that he can feel and he doesn't hide that he pours it out before God his whole downcast soul and his divided heart and so after he pours out everything his situation and his downcast divided heart he asks for God's light and truth to guide him See, darkness distorts our vision. And the psalmist knows this. He doesn't trust what he feels right now as ultimate. He knows he doesn't have the full picture, especially in the dark cloud of suffering. There's a theme and a language of darkness here. Like he's stumbling around in a dark room looking for the light switch so he can see where to go. And he knows where to go. He goes to God. Verse three, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. God, I need your light and your truth to see clearly. Show me where to go, lead me. Again, we're reminded of his dependence and trust in the Lord. Even now in his despair and his depression, even when it feels like God is far away, he looks to God to let him know the truth he knows that it's not true and he just needs help finding his way back to the nearness of god that he remembers feeling and knows to be true and so he looks to god's light and truth to lead him now another psalm psalm 119 talks a lot about light and truth. So I think it can help us fill out the meaning of what he's referring to. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. The sum of your word is truth. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Over and over in Psalm 119, we see that God's word is the light and the truth. It's the truth that he can count on for guidance, and it's the light that can help him see clearly. Brothers and sisters, our God is not silent. Our God has not left us alone in the darkness. He has given us his word as a light and as truth. And that's where the psalmist turns to guide his downcast heart through the darkness. Do we ask this when we're in pain? Do we look to God's word to illuminate our darkness? Do we prepare by meditating on his word day and night in the day so we can be prepared for the darkness? Psalmist is dead. Now there's still a disconnect between what his heart feels and the truth that he believes. He still feels forgotten by God. And yet there's a deep shift as he looks to God's truth for guidance rather than the words of his enemies or his own divided heart. The third thing he does, after pouring out his pain before God and asking for help, after looking to God's word for light and truth, is he goes to the altar to remember his hope. If you look at verse 3 in Psalm 43, there's a geographic zooming in that lands on the altar. It says, Let them bring me God's word light and his truth, to your holy hill and to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God. It starts with the holy hill where the temple was, then closer, God's dwelling, the temple itself, and then even closer to the altar of God, where he finds God. Now, of all the places he can look, why the altar? Why the altar language? Altar was where animal after animal was sacrificed to pay for the sins of God's people, to atone for, to cover the sins of God's people. It was bloody business. Why does he go there? Well, he knows that the question he's wrestling with is where is your God? He wants to know that God has not rejected him. And he has good reason for his questions. You see, there is an infinite divide between a perfect, holy God who is set apart and a sinful human people who have rebelled. He does not take God's presence for granted. He knows he deserves nothing more Than God's rejection. And yet he knew that God was at the altar. The altar was where that infinite space between God and man had been bridged. God was there. The altar was also where God made a way for the sins of God's people to be forgiven. To be atoned for through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. He knew that he could find God there, and that is where he could be reconciled with God. So the altar reminded him of hope. Rather than being rejected by God, the altar told him that he could be reconciled with God. Rather than God being far away, the altar showed that God is present. And that's where you start to see his joy becoming restored. Because if nothing is more painful than being rejected by the God that you love most, nothing is sweeter and more joyful than knowing that you're reconciled with God. And to be reminded that God is present in your darkness. And we see the evidence of God's presence throughout these psalms. Even when he feels downcast and in despair, we know that God is with him. We see that especially in Psalm 42, verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and in night, his song is with me. This wasn't the good old days. This is now in the mountains when he is run away and weeping. God is with him there. God is sustaining him with his steadfast love. And so he slowly begins to recover his joy. That doesn't feel, doesn't mean he feels joyful all of a sudden. We see that he is still struggling. He is not suddenly happy, like all of his pain has gone away. And yet he knows who his joy is. God is his exceeding joy. And the altar reminds him that God is not far away. God is with him. Even now in the valley, in the darkness, in the discouragement, God never left him or forsook him. He reminded, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will are with me because he is at my right hand my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices our joy is linked to the presence of god so after he shares all his pain with god pleads for help then after he asks god to guide him with his light and his truth and after he goes to the altar to remember the hope that he has, he finishes this lament, this prayer with his future hope. I will again praise you. He says that in verse 5, I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God. Now, there's still some tension here because he's praying about future praise, right? He's not just praising, he's praying about future praise, we don't know that there's been any sudden transformation in how he feels. In fact, the next verse seems to imply that he's still downcast. He's still struggling to hope in God. And yet, we see that deep reorientation in his soul as he looks to future hope. God's word has disarmed the lies from his enemies and the lies from his own heart. The altar has reminded him of the presence and the salvation of his God, so he has reason to hope for the future. When he is too downcast to praise, he looks to future praise because that's where he's at right now. He's still got his jumper cables out, trying to start the praise engine, but he knows he's not stranded. He has full confidence in the one who's beside him. And so he ends his prayer looking ahead to the joy that is to come. I will again praise him. I will be full of joy that overflows in praise one day. And so as he closes his prayer, he now turns to himself and he preaches. He turns in verse six and says, "'Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God.'" As Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, have you realized that your most, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself? instead of talking to yourself. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So he preaches. He preaches to his downcast, divided soul, reminding himself of the hope in God that he has. And how much more clear is this hope to us on this side of the cross? We too were hopelessly separated from God. In our sin, we deserved nothing more than utter rejection. By our God. And yet, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, bridged that infinite distance between God and man. He was that spotless Lamb that the altar pointed to. He is the only one that could once and for all pay the price of our sin with his blood. And he was the one that endured the darkest night. The night when Jesus suffered the full wrath for our sins and rebellion. When the full wrath of the rejection that we deserved was poured out on him. And he cried out once And for all, my God, my God, why have you rejected me? So that you and I would never have to. Brothers and sisters, we have received the ultimate reconciliation. The blood of Jesus is our hope that we preach to ourselves. There's no more need for altars and sacrifices because Jesus died to end our separation from God. Christian, you are not rejected by God. Suffering, hopeless, depressed, Christian in darkness, God is not far away. He is with you. He is your salvation. And so when you feel downcast after you've prayed your lament to God, preach that gospel hope to yourself. Preach to yourself every day and look to the joy to come. And that will bring us to the table shortly because the table is where every week we are reminded of our hope in God, where we preach to ourselves every week through remembering the sacrifice of Jesus that he took his sins, took our sins on himself and died in our place. And he rose from the grave so that we who put our trust in him will never be rejected by God. Instead, we can look Can turn to the end of the book and read how it ends. We can look to our future hope in Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And if you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus, if you're stumbling through darkness without any hope, remember there is hope at the altar. There is hope in Jesus. If you turn from your sins and trust in God, you too can hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Especially when we're in darkness and pain, we're downcast and are struggling to hope in you. Teach us to run to you crying. Teach us to pour out our hearts and our pain before you and ask for your help. Lord, guide us through your word in our turmoil. Bring us back to the cross to remind us of the hope we have in you. Lord, remind us of the salvation we have in you. Remind us that you are not rejected, us. You are not far away. You are with us in the darkest nights, Lord. Teach our souls to trust in that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.